by the nine. It's back. I'm back. The Skyrim audio adventure will continue after two whole years. A huge thanks to everyone out there who commented on my videos encouraging me in this. I always wanted to get back to it, but life became very complex for a while. I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to Mafuria over on Webtoon and her sterling comic, The Lost Goddess, A Skyrim Story. It is a fantastic read and one of the best Skyrim things that I've ever come across. So go ahead and give that comic a read. Maybe support her on Patreon. As a matter of fact, maybe support me on Patreon. That's right, I'm going to go ahead and launch a Patreon because I'm back and I'm serious about this and I want to do this. And if you can help me keep doing this, then all the better. So let's get right back into it with Chapter 4 of the Skyrim audio adventure, Friends. Thunder ripped through the afternoon sky, but the hunter could barely hear it. He heard hardly anything of the outside world. All was drowned out by the constant roar of the deluge on the thatched roof and the tin chimney of the sleeping giant inn. He was really only sure of the thunder's register because the floorboards rolled underfoot, just as the thunder rolled across Skyrim. He had been raring to go after Bracknell had brought the prospect of Whiterun. He'd never been, and had always avoided the plains, but with some company, the trip seemed far more appealing. Alas, Bracknell needed a day to prepare, and Skyrim's ever-hospitable weather laid waste to any immediate plans. But the hunter's imagination ran wild, as it often did. Besides, the legendary Yorland Greymane was said to live in Whiterun. If anyone could find a sword that he could wield with a missing finger, it would be him. How he would pay for such a thing was another question entirely, a question his mind had been eagerly avoiding for some time. He hadn't even worked off his debt to Delphine. The coarse bristles of the broom rattled softly as they brushed against the fair finish of the wooden floor. At least, the broom didn't require ten fingers. Serving drinks, that was another matter. A service for a service, Delphine had said, and the hunter had accepted for he loathes his debts. What had surprised him was the dress code. Apparently, it would not do to have a vagrant fresh out of the wild serving drinks in blood-stained furs, grinning at patrons with teeth full of charcoal and pine. He'd been sat in front of Delphine's small mirror and had all his illusions of rugged good looks shattered. All this time, the undulating surface of Lake Illinalta had done wonders for his complexion. He was a wild thing through and through. He'd been forced to tame his tangled mess of hair till it fell in loose, damp curls around his face. He'd been made to straighten his scraggly beard by combing it with a broom. Finally, he was wearing a pair of trousers and a tunic that Orgnar had given him. Orgnar being twice his size and bulk, the tunic hung off him like a low-cut dress. Fitting for a barmaid, Orgnar had laughed before Delphine had boxed his shoulder. 
So there he was, looking like a child in his father's clothes, hair slick from a mother's hasty spit shine, and a beard that would not stay straight and looked as out of place as if it were on Delphine herself, pushing Broom to pay for his healed stump of a finger. It beats getting eaten, he thought, as a flash in the high rafters signaled another incoming roll. He looked around at the dripping ensemble who'd seen fit to take shelter in the inn, tracking mud in the whole time. Sven, the bard, was sitting by the fire tuning his lute lazily. There was Embry, the local drunk who paid for his ale with inane conversation. The hunter wondered if the man had any semblance of a real job. A pair of traveling merchants had come by the north road and were now chatting with Embry, while an orc, who was apparently their bodyguard, looked on disinterested. Then there were the monks in the corner. Or he wanted to say they were monks. They were secluded, hooded and robed in deep blue. But the hand that reached out to take the drinks from him had been clad in vicious, gleaming steel. And the grip had been sure and strong. Whoever they were, these were not frail wizards or wise men from the cities. The door opened and the hunter moved quickly to sweep up any debris that got carried in with the new arrival. Tall and slender, fair skin, deep red lips, and blushing cheeks. A beautiful imperial woman stepped in, shaking her raven braids from the hood of her cloak. The hunter didn't know why, but he flinched and looked away as she stepped in. He turned away even as more townsfolk filtered in looking for a drink. Sven, however, stopped picking his nose and sat up straight. Ah, Camilla, how delightful it is to see you again. Come, have a seat. I was just about to begin. Oh, really? Well, I'm glad I didn't miss anything. Are you really going to play with the racket on the roof? Oh, please, Camilla. With inspiration like you before me, the storm is a trifling matter. The rain and thunder shall be my drums. The hunter couldn't decide if the handsome Nord was a wordsmith or a fool. Part of him was jealous that he couldn't speak so eloquently around women. And part of him was grateful he'd never tried. He moved to the bar to get some distance and swept around the door to one of the guest rooms, ears cocked towards the bar. The raven-haired woman pulled up a seat and the pair talked in hushed tones. He could hear her laughing, and something in her voice scratched at the back of his mind. He couldn't place it, but he felt that it was important. Then, Sven began. The bard stood and held his lute abreast, and his fingers strummed and plucked out a simple but infectious tune. Black-footed travelers sit round and drink well And listen to the story that this bard will tell they say there's a storm at the throat of the world A storm that's been blowing since time was unfurled The storm puts the bite and the fight neath the skin Of all of the children of Skyrim A father collapses Calls to his daughter that she must go on. 
They say there's a storm at the throat of the world A storm that gives strength to the little boys and girls It's your turn to struggle and never give in To fight for the future of Skyrim Sees a beggar in the streets of Windhill. And why do you stay in such a cold realm? He says there's a storm at the throat of the world. My blood is kept warm for as long as it whirls. All the drifters and the gamblers and peddlers of skin We all have a home here in Skyrim The Jarl is watching his soldiers all trade They work even harder as it starts to rain He looks to the storm at the throat of the wound The blizzard that raged there through decades of war To the soldiers and the warriors who fight through the grim Your names always echo through Skyrim Ooh, oh. Now we sit at the foot of that great mountainside we sing of the storm that gives us our pride I don't know if it's up there, but I know it's inside So pick up your heads, take up your glasses Out of your chairs, get up your horses' asses I know that you learned it, now let's make a din we are the children of Skyrim. Oh, la 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 Ben had finished, the whole inn was alight with shouts, grins, and spilling tankards. The hunter couldn't help himself, he had been stomping right along with everyone else. He looked around to find that the inn had become crowded while he'd been swept up in the wild reverie. Countless strangers, with a few faces he recognized mixed in. Hod had his arm around Gerder, who was sitting on his knee a position she would never allow herself to be seen in if she wasn't already quite full of mead. Alvor and Sigrid were holding each other in the middle of the floor, having just danced a jig. The kids, Dorothy and Frognar, had somehow gotten into the rafters. And Embry was so taken with the moment, he didn't notice Stump the dog, drinking his ale from his loosely held cup. 
the hunter's heart began to beat wildly with the collective mirth so alien to him. His gaze met Orgnar's at the bar, and he cocked his eyebrows as if to say, Is this normal? Orgnar only grinned and turned to serve a woman the hunter didn't know. Play the age of aggression, came a call from the crowd. Let's not get political, chided Sven easily. How about Ragnar the Red? came another voice. I can do that. How about you all join me? The bard set down his loot and jumped up on his chair, holding his arms out like a conductor. So evening turned to night in the town. The rain kept up, though the thunder subsided. Lucan, the shrewd, if a bit hapless owner of the Riverwood Trader, came rushing in at one point and pulled the raven-haired woman out of the inn, whispering worried words as he did. Sven looked a bit crestfallen, but continued performing intermittently through the night. When the inn at last began to empty, the hunter saw that he had his work cut out for him. The floor was filthy. Sven was plucking idly at his instrument when the hunter passed by, washing the floor with a thick cloth. You're that vagrant they dragged in a few nights back, aren't you? The hunter looked up at him surprised. It was the first time that the bard had spoken to him. Yes, I am. I hardly recognized you. When they first brought you in, I thought you were some kind of large cat. Don't you get hot wearing all that fur? I'm from higher on the mountain. This mountain? Sven nodded behind him in the direction of the throat of the world. Yeah, from around Helgen. Huh, I've never been. I heard there's an imperial garrison there. Was one of your parents with the garrison? No. Sven waited a moment, as if expecting the hunter to elaborate, but the half-breed had no intention of doing so. Well, Sven began awkwardly. What's your name? You can call me Stranger. How'd you like my performance? Do you have a bard up in Helgen? The performance was good. You know how to work a crowd. As for Helgen, I've seen a few come through, but none stay. The garrison doesn't like wanderers sticking around. Aha, <laughs> would you say that they don't like strangers? The hunter couldn't help but smirk at the obvious joke. <laughs> I, I suppose I would. I liked that first song you did, the, the one about the storm. Did you write that? Well, every bard puts their own spin on songs, but the original I heard from a wanderer. Torgar? Uh, Talsgar, I think his name was? It was a good song. If I might ask, who was that dark-haired woman that you were speaking with before you started? Woman? Ah, you must mean Camilla Valerius, the flower of Riverwood. Oh, so she has a title. I'll say she does. My future wife. You're engaged? 
Well, no. Not, not yet. But Camilla knows I'm the best man in Riverwood. You weren't eyeing her, were you? Things are bad enough with that wood elf hanging around her so much. The hunter blinked rapidly as a cloud of information devoid of context was thrown in his face like a fistful of dust. He hadn't any idea what the Nord was talking about. The last time I eyed someone, I lost a finger, so don't worry about it. Oh, good. Well, I mean, not good that you lost your finger. I wasn't going to ask about that so as not to offend, but I... Um... <clears throat> Tell you what. Would you like to make a friend? The hunter had been about to wave off the finger comment, but the word friend stopped him dead. Friend? Yes, a friend. You need one of those, don't you? Sven had gone oddly still. His eyes were intense. His lute had stopped singing. You do something for me, and in the future, if you ever need my help, you can count on it. It had been ages since he'd had friends. They were a good, rambunctious lot back then. But over the years, the meaning had sloughed off the word like dead skin. Now he wasn't sure if he recognized what lay underneath. It seemed to make sense. Friends did help each other. I suppose that'd be fine, he heard himself saying. Splendid! Sven set down the loot and made it for the bar. The hunter had thought he'd somehow earned himself a drink on the house, but the bard instead produced a slip of paper and a quill. Feverishly, he began scribbling, offering no explanation to the bemused hunter. Here, Sven said, when he at last finished writing, all you have to do is deliver this letter to Camilla at the Riverwood Trader. The hunter stared at the note, the gears in his head audibly turning. Camilla was the woman Lucan had snatched earlier. They shared a last name, but she was being openly courted. Oh, she's his sister. He mumbled as a small, mostly irrelevant piece of the puzzle slid into place. What are you talking about? Asked Sven. Oh, nothing. So just go over and deliver this now? Now? Of course not now, it's too late. Do it tomorrow, first chance you get. The hunter squinted at the marked up paper. What is this supposed to do? It's quite simple. This will keep Feindal away from my Camilla. Feindal? Ah, uh, that wood elf considers himself my romantic rival. As if Camilla would ever see him that way. You know Bosmer eat their dead? Disgusting people. So when I give Camilla this letter, she'll choose to be with you? Precisely. Just think of it as a way to expedite the inevitable. Okay, the hunter noted dryly. He'd understood most of those words. So all I have to do is give her the letter and you'll be there when I need you? Yes, yes, but perhaps mention that it's from Feindal, just to really sell it. Now quick, stow this away. I should head back home to see after my mother. You can do this. And with that, the bard turned and strode out the door, taking up his loot as he went. The hunter stood awkwardly by the bar. The paper clutched to his chest. He blinked for a moment, then folded the note and stowed it in his pocket. Looks like he had some late night reading to do. Delphine was kind enough to let him stay in one of the guest rooms as long as a patron didn't have need of it. In case of that eventuality, he'd be moved to the cellar to sleep on hay and stone. Wouldn't think that hay and furs on a wooden frame would be very comfortable, but 
It was. Too comfortable. The sensation was so alien the hunter had a fair bit of trouble sleeping. So instead, he read Sven's letter. He had his doubts that Sven believed he could read, but it was apparent to the hunter that the hand that had so hurriedly scribbled out this letter was indeed a skilled one. The script was very fine, typical of bards who had received training. It was quite clever as well. It wasn't anything venomous, no proclamations of hate. It read more like a very clumsy and unfortunate love letter, like a sonnet where the execution had failed in the worst way. It proclaimed Camilla's great charm, how she was strong and simple like a cow. It spoke of her beauty and how her boils gleamed in the moonlight. It compared her to a lovely flower, in that she too would be delicious to eat. Yet for all the letter's cunning, this plan lacked subtlety. Why couldn't Feindall simply deny this? Had Sven never written to Camilla? Wouldn't she recognize his handwriting? Why trust this to a stranger? Did Sven consider him a simpleton? Had he not considered how massively this could backfire if it got back to him? This was wrong. It just seemed wrong. Lies on this scale shouldn't be the start of love. However, he had to admit that he was no expert with women. As a matter of fact, he felt that he could safely say that no one else in all of Tamriel was less qualified than him in matters of the heart. He eventually decided to remove his pillow from under his head, and this, at last, when paired with the light taps of a dying storm, carried him off to sleep. He did not dream a proper dream. His sleep was far too shallow for that. Just a bizarre series of sensations. The sight of snow-laden pine needles. The sound of hollow clattering in a cavern. The smell of waterlogged wood. The pressure of someone lying on top of him. He felt soft breasts against his chest and hot air over his neck. He saw red eyes against the moonlit sky. He couldn't help but wrap his arms around the pressure and hold it to him. Someone was yelling, screaming, pleading. It was rising in volume, rushing into him like a torrential flood. He woke up with a jolt, clutching his discarded pillow to his chest. Useless, he thought. Useless and dumb. Whatever foolish fixation was swimming around in his head, he resolved to leave it there with the pillow he threw onto the bed. He sat up and looked to the window. The glass was thick and roughly hewn. There was nothing to see except the shade of ambient light outside. It was a dim blue. The sun was hours away from rising. The early morning was silent, but the rain had stopped. He would be traveling today. The hunter cursed the dream and the letter that had led to it. He rubbed at his sleepy eyes and began to pull his shaggy furs over his legs. He fixed the twine straps and pulled on his boots, buckling them nice and tight. He was about to pull his furs over his upper body, but decided that the cold would do wonders to wake him up. He took up his bow, Laria, his thick fur gauntlets, and slung his quiver over his bare chest. Just before he stepped out the door, he looked back at the letter sitting on the bedside drawer. Was this a doomed thing? 
What would a friend do? Keep his friend from doing something stupid, or just do what his friend asked? He stood for a long moment. Could have been ten seconds, or ten minutes. Then, deciding to damn the whole affair, he took up the note and carelessly crumbled it and shoved it into his pocket, resolving to chuck it into a fire when he got the chance. Outside the sleeping giant inn, the hunter found a low fog hanging over the town. The minute water droplets kissed his naked chest and set his skin on edge. He looked at the muddy path below the front porch and elected not to chance it. Stepping carefully, he stuck to weeds and rocks, skirting the edge of the muddy slip and out onto the road. The fog was almost as bad as a moonless midnight. He could barely see further than 30 feet away. Still, it was good enough for what he was planning. Ears peaked for any threat, he made his way north, past the archway out of town, and into the woods off the bank. When at last he came to the spot he remembered, he stood next to a tall stump and counted out twenty paces away from it. He turned and appraised his target. He'd tried this before, after Delphine had closed his finger. It had been an unmitigated disaster. Normally he drew with his right hand, one finger above the knock and three below, effectively pinching the arrow in place. Now that wasn't an option anymore. He tried to involve his little finger more, but the angle was off and his draw strength was abysmal. All he'd been able to achieve was a sore arm, three very sore draw fingers, and a wasted hour trying to track down all his arrows. Today he'd try something different. For a start, he was only going to fire one arrow, moving to retrieve it after each shot. No sense in blunting all his arrows. What's more, he was going to try something he really didn't want to try. If for no other reason, then it was admitting how important one finger was. The hunter sighed and took out an arrow. Slowly, he knocked it, aimed, and drew. The muscles in his back and shoulders protested loudly, as if it was their first time doing this. He steadied his breathing and shot left-handed. A sharp stab of pain shot up his arm, and he dropped his bow, clutching his throbbing right hand. He gritted his teeth and let out a stream of curses for all the trees to hear. Getting whipped by the fletching or the string is a beginner's mistake, and that's bad enough. But he'd gotten whipped right on the way out, right on the sensitive new skin over his stump of an index finger. It was like feeling the finger get cut off all over again. Tears welled up in the hunter's eyes and he hopped in place, turning circles and stamping. As he turned, he thought he spotted a familiar set of ears outlined in the gloom. What are you looking at? He called into the woods. A little close to town, aren't we? A stiff breeze came through the valley and set the foliage in motion. It pushed some of the fog aside, revealing some ear-shaped bushes. Damn it all. Now I'm going crazy to boot. He stumbled to the tree stump, scanning left and right for the arrow. His sight was so clouded by the pain that it took him a good minute before he noticed the arrow sitting nice and pretty in the wood of the stump, right where he'd aimed it. He blinked as the sky began to brighten above the trees. Oh no, he said aloud to no one. The breeze carried a wolfish nickering sound to him. Yeah, laugh it up. The hunter grumbled as he yanked the arrow and prepared to do it again.
As the sun rose, it burnt off the evening fog, leaving the bright, clear light of mid-morning. The blue sky, the green trees, the orange and purple wildflowers. The world was a technicolor daydream, almost too vivid to be real. The morning sun found the hunter sitting on the Riverwood Bridge, warming the scars on his back, pensively looking north. Shoot with three fingers, or shoot left-handed. He had two trees of action, and he was prepared to eat from whichever bore fruit first. But shooting left-handed felt like such a steep learning curve. Which made the fact that, all things considered, he'd shot better today than before a bit distressing. He had never understood how much his shooting habits were a part of his identity. He shot right-handed. That was just one of those facts he knew about himself. Changing now almost felt like a betrayal. How stupid and sentimental of him. It would take a long time for his eyes to adjust to shooting left-handed, and judging by the pain in his back, he'd just activated some muscles that had never seen real use. Excuse me, mister. Are you a fawn? A small voice to his right made the hunter jump. Huh? He turned to see Dorothy, Alvor's daughter standing by the edge of the bridge gawking at the shirtless stranger. A fawn, she clarified. I read about them in my book. They have the body of a man and the legs of a goat. The hunter looked down at his shaggy stag fur trousers and snorted. He supposed he was a bit of a fawn. Oh, oh, these are trousers, he explained. Besides, do I have hooves? It's hard to tell from a distance. And I can't see your ears. It's been a long time since I've seen them myself. The hunter shook out his shoulder-length hair. No reason they can't have gone all furry, I suppose. Are you going to stay in town? No, I have to go. Why? The hunter's answer caught, and he chewed on his words for a moment. Where's your friend? He finally asked. Frognar isn't awake yet. Why are you awake? Papa says... The key to a productive day is getting as much work done before the sun is high as possible. Alvor is a smart man. But why are you out here, on the bridge? I like the sound of the water. I think the trees are greener in the morning. Ah, aren't they ever! The hunter's head whipped around at the unfamiliar voice. Approaching from the west side of the bridge was a skinny Nord man with a pale traveling cloak, a small rucksack, and high spirits. Riverwood at last. It's more beautiful than I ever would have guessed. The hunter looked back at Dorothy to see that she had gone. It was just him and this traveler on the bridge. Fair morning to you, he called, turning back to the man. Well met, hunter. The Nord had a short blonde beard and dusty mustache that curled down as he pouted. Oh no, I've scared it off, precious little thing. The man sitting on a bridge shirtless on a brisk Skyrim morning with a bow strapped over his back, wearing shaggy animal skins, decided not to question how the newcomer had pegged him for a hunter. Sounds like you've traveled far. What brings you to the forest? Ah, fallow and fortune, quipped the Nord, setting down his rucksack. I come from the Pale beyond Whiterun. The Jarl of Dawnstar has thrown in his lot with the Stormcloak rebels and claimed ownership of my modest training post for... moving war supplies, I think? Anyway, put me right out of my arse without a thought. And so, south I go. That's a load of shit. The hunter got the feeling that this man had been telling this story to everyone he met in an attempt to process it. So he decided to be kind, and display as much interest as he could muster. Since when could Jarls commandeer someone's home like that? Ha, you clearly haven't lived through many wars. I figured the pale was as far removed as I could get. Then this happens. Well, 
Welcome to Riverwood, for what it's worth. I hope this place brings you the peace you seek. Oh, I'm not staying here. This civil war isn't going anywhere anytime soon. I'm getting out. Making for Bruma. Just have to work my way there. Oh, I see. You're laboring as you go. Exactly. I'll just stay here and work till I have the supplies to get down to Falkreath. Well, I'd be careful on the slopes below Helgen. There's been some bandit activity there, and, uh... Steer clear of that mill on the south side of Lake Illinalta. Any specific reason why? The hunter shrugged noncommittally. There are some aggressive predators in those parts. Well, should appreciate the warning. Will I see you in town? Not for a bit. I'm headed to Whiterun for a spell. Well, if we don't meet again, thanks all the same. The Nord held out a hand for the hunter to shake. As he did, a gleam at the man's hand caught the hunter's eye. He tensed, half expecting a hidden knife. Instead, what he saw when he looked down was a dull silver ring, unassuming but for the snarling wolf's head protruding from it. The hunter had never been much of a jeweler, but he was sure he'd never seen the make of this ring. He realized he was staring and shook it off. Sorry, he said. I must be a little jumpy. He clasped the man's hand and felt a deep chill run through him as his skin brushed the metal ring. You can call me Stranger. Nice to meet you, Stranger. I'm Sending. The hunter nodded, trying to shake off the chill. Come on, I'll walk you into town. Delphine watched the hunter get dressed and gather his gear. Promise you'll look after Bracknell? Yeah, I'll make sure he doesn't lift anything too heavy. You know we'll miss you. <laughs> My goodness, I didn't realize I was so loved. You make it sound like I'm joining the Legion. Delphine smirked at him. Well, I don't relish the idea of doing all my chores again. I think I got used to you taking my place. It was only two days. I barely even saw you. And I barely saw you. It was a sublime time, truly. Okay, I'm leaving. Hold on, hold on. Innkeeper gave a placating smile before producing a small pouch and handing it to the hunter. Wait, I, d I don't want gold. I was paying off a debt. It's a gift, you damn fool. And it isn't gold. Just some dried goat for the road. Goat? Did you talk to Dorothy this morning? What? No, why? No reason. Thanks for this. The hunter turned abruptly to leave and, just as abruptly, stopped and turned back to Delphine. Delphine, uh, thanks for everything, really. I'd be dead if it weren't for you. Eh, I'm sure you would have figured something out. Now get out of here. Later, Delphine. With that, the hunter stepped out of the inn, ready to make for Bracknell's treehouse. However, he was immediately intercepted. The raven-haired woman from the previous night stood before him in a simple dress. Camilla Valerius's eyes widened a bit at the sight of him. It's you, she exclaimed. I heard that you were leaving, but we hadn't met properly, so I wanted to meet you before you left. The hunter's brain immediately lost a wheel and grinded to a halt. As the wheel spun off in some unknown direction, he gave a confused groan that sounded a lot like, Why? Oh, well, I, uh, I just love to hear stories and tales of adventure, and ever since Feindall pulled you out of the river, 
I just knew that you had some stories to tell. I was going to talk to you last night, but my brother Lucan came to tell me that we had a leak in the roof and I had to go help him plug it. The hunter stared straight into Camilla's eyes, causing her to blush slightly and take a step back. Can you say that again? Uh, I want to hear some of your adventures? After that, we had a leaky roof before that. You were pulled out of the river. Yeah. Who did you say did that? Oh, uh, Fandal. He's a wood elf. Works the mill. He's a friend of mine, actually. He jumped right in and pulled you out. It was, well, very exciting. Did he? The hunter breathed in, long and slow. He released the sigh like he was releasing an arrow. <sighs> I'm sorry about this. He said as he reached into his pocket and pulled out the crumpled letter. Sven gave me this. He wanted me to give it to you and say that it was from Feindal. Camilla took the letter she was handed with knitted brow. I... I don't understand. Like I said, I'm sorry, but I don't think you have time for stories. The hunter brushed past Camilla, down to the road and north out of Riverwood. He only glanced back once to see Camilla still standing on the porch. One hand holding the letter before her, the other clasped over her mouth. He was too far away to see if she was crying. He didn't know he was across the bridge until he was scrambling up the crags on his way to Bracknell's reclusive home. When the hunter arrived, the ladder was down, meaning the elder hunter had nipped out for something. The hunter sat there, lost in thought for a few minutes, before the grey figure of Bracknell appeared over a log and hobbled up. "'Morning, stranger!' the old man called. "'Sorry about that. I was just out collecting herbs. Just give me a moment to grab my pack and we'll be off.' No problem. Take your time, offered the hunter politely. So, Bracknell began placing a foot on the ladder as he did. Two whole days in Riverwood. Did you make any friends? The hunter kept his eyes forward. On the slopes. The distant plains. The city of Whiterun. No. Thank you so much for returning to this series after two whole years of involuntary hiatus. I'd like to dedicate this episode to Paul, Ruth, Digby, and Margie, none of whom got to see it released. If you've missed it at the beginning, yes, I do have a Patreon page up. It launched the day that I released this episode. Hopefully I can get enough traction that I no longer have to balance this project with any of my other jobs, plural. Going forward, I'm going to try to release an episode every two weeks. That time frame will give me enough time to get ahead of myself on the writing, which is the most time-consuming part of this process. Another thing that I'd like to say going forward is a little bit of a retcon, but not a major one. I'm going to be switching the gold septums in the game for, you know, copper, silver, and gold coins. It gives me a bit of a more dynamic economic system to play with, and since I'm going for so many quasi-grounded representations of the game's mechanics, it feels kind of weird to leave out the fact that gold is extremely heavy and you wouldn't be carrying around thousands and thousands of pieces of gold. So making this little switch here is just allowing me to have more freedom and 
flexibility as a writer. Once again, thank you for everyone for returning and a quick moment of silence for those who are not here. Thank you very much.